0: Do please take a seat and turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 uh, we're gonna be looking at verses 5 through 18 this morning it, again that's in your service sheets for your convenience uh, if you want to turn there in the church Bibles it's on page 761 uh, if you're if you're new to Grace church or, or just just checking us out the uh, uh, we, we've been going through this a series on on Matthew's gospel which is is one of uh, the the well the stories are, are the tellings of the life of Jesus. And what we've come to is, is what's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is a, an extended section of teaching from Jesus. He, he, he preaches a sermon kind of like what I'm about to do uh, this morning. Uh, and so these are things that, that Jesus thinks are, are really important for people to know. And so uh, Matthew 6, verses 5 through 18 uh, is really a, a section on, on prayer. And that's, that's one of those topics that I think uh, most of us have a lot of questions about. Um, I think most of us would say, even, even if you're, you're not one who's, who's been around church very much, you probably think um, prayer, prayer is important. Uh, maybe you've tried it before. Uh, well, this is what Jesus has to say about it. Uh, and this is, this is God's word. It's the words of, of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so let's hear God's word this morning from Matthew 6, verses 5 through 18. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret." And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Um, Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. Uh, prayer, again, tends to be one of those things which, which we know is really important. Uh, but we often struggle with it, don't we? Most people even think, people who aren't Christians uh, pray at times. Uh, often it's, it's during the worst-case scenario, isn't it? Uh, when we're most fearful that's, and, and we have nowhere else to turn, that's when we start to pray. Uh, but we often, often we, we think we, we don't pray enough, do we? Or we, we don't know what we should be praying for. Uh, and if we're honest, the, the people who, who look like they're, they're really good at praying, uh, maybe they, they pray a lot, uh, maybe it seems like they're, they're really good at it, the, those people often are faking it, aren't they? And Jesus kind of says that here, doesn't he? We often make prayers uh, prayer more complicated than it needs to be. We make up silly rules for praying, like the the more we do it, the more likely God is to hear us or to answer our prayers in the way that we want Him to. And, and Jesus actually says here that that isn't correct. On the other hand, I often hear people say things like, uh, "I shouldn't. I, I know I shouldn't pray for anything specific," but Jesus never says that in the Bible. In fact, He gives us some very specific things to pray for, doesn't He? So what Jesus is trying to, to get us to understand, what He's He's saying here is that, that how we pray actually reflects what we believe about the God we're praying to. And so if we think, if we, think we need to, to work hard to get God's attention, what does that actually say about him? And it's really, I, I think, the, the important thing for us to understand about the, what Jesus is, is calling us to here is he's, he's actually calling us, he's inviting us to approach God as our Father. And that's actually how Jesus approaches God, isn't it? You see, if we, if we believe the, the gospel, if we believe the, the good news that, that Jesus opens our way to God and he, and, and, and he changes our relationship to God to be that of his sons and daughters, then, then our prayer life actually should reflect that. And the beautiful thing about this, this passage is that Jesus seems to know uh, our struggles to pray. And so he shows us how we ought to pray. Jesus shows us here the, that, that prayer matters, that it, it is actually important. But actually it is, it's far simpler than we, te- than we think it. And even the, the pattern he gives us for, for prayer, the Lord's Prayer, it's, it's incredibly short, isn't it? We prayed it earlier uh, this morning. It's incredibly simple and incredibly short, yet it, it's full of wonderful things that we should be praying for daily. There's, there's a lot of things here, aren't there? That we could say uh, about this prayer, the, I, I could I could do a sermon on each of the each of the things that we're to ask for, each of the petitions that Jesus teaches us to pray. We don't have time for that this morning, I'm afraid. Uh, we've got one sermon to cover these verses in. So I'd encourage you, if you if you want to know uh, uh, more about uh, about the Lord's Prayer, then actually there's there's a really good resource online. It's called the Westminster Larger Catechism, and if you download that and look at questions 185 through 196, then you, you get a really good overview of what the Lord's Prayer is all about. Uh, it, it, and you can also get it in modern English uh, if you want. The The catechism's quite an old document. But there's three things I want us to see this morning. Uh, first of all, how not to pray. Secondly, how to pray. And then thirdly, how to be properly spiritual. Most of us, I'm sure, want to be properly spiritual, don't we? Now, first of all, how not to pray? Jesus begins this section of his sermon by, by uh, correcting some of the f- common errors of his day. Uh, when, it, when, it, uh, when it comes to prayer, first he says that, that it, it doesn't need to be arrogant and prideful. It doesn't need to be public. In fact, it is uh, in the secret places where, where God hears us. He says that it's most valuable to have time alone with our Father. Jesus is addressing here a, a common practice in his day were to to go out into into public and and, and be seen as as they were praying, uh, especially the, you you want to be seen by everyone, but especially these really important spiritual leaders. This was a a, a culture that 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 was uh, really driven by by spirituality, uh, particularly Judaism, and the culture of Jesus' day was was. Uh, so deeply religious that that if you went out and, and, and prayed in public, it was showing that you were you were in line with society, that you were a righteous person, that you were you were someone that 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 should be accepted by the culture. In some ways, it's it's similar to to maybe a Muslim country where five times a day you hear the the call to prayer go out, uh, and you see you see men coming from from all over the city to pray. Uh, we may not pray like this in our society. We, we have ways of showing that we're, we're in line with the culture, don't we? You know, uh, there, there's always some uh, symbols and things, like, like if you go to a football match, what do you wear? You wear your team's colors, right? Because you want to identify with the culture of that stadium. In a lot of ways, that's what, what public prayer was in Jesus' day. And Jesus says that that was hypocritical because it was purely for show. It was to be seen. There was no spiritual or, or eternal value in it. Because these people weren't praying out of a desire to please God and to, to know him more and to, to grow in their dependence upon him and their relationship to him. Rather, they were being, they were praying to be seen by others. And the answer to that is, is actually the counterpoint. And it's quite remarkable what Jesus says, isn't it? What he commands here. He says, when you pray, to go into a room and shut the door and pray in private. Uh, one commentator on this passage says that, that in the first century uh, Israel, the only truly private place where you could close a door and lock it was a storage cupboard. It was the place where you would store your tools and you would store the feed for your livestock. It wasn't exactly a, a glamorous place. It wasn't what we would call a, a sacred space, like a beautiful church building or, or, or the temple. And that's actually what's so remarkable about what Jesus is saying here. Back in his day, the, the best place to pray as well as the, the scariest and the holiest and the most sacred was a place called the Holy of Holies. And it was a, a room in, in the temple and the only person who could go in there was one of the priests who had specially uh, consecrated themselves to go into the presence of God and, and pray for God's people. What Jesus is saying here is that, that actually your, your storage cupboard when you go in there and you close the door and you lift your heart and your needs before the God who is your Father, that it's every bit as sacred as anywhere else. Because there, God your Father hears your prayers. See, prayer is an intimate thing between between the, uh, a believer and their father. It's not something to be put on display as some uh, cultural identity marker. That brings up the question, will what, what about when we pray together as a church? What's that? Why should we have prayer gatherings? And, and why, do we, why do we want to emphasize the prayer life of our little congregation? Well, uh, This is where we do need to, to actually examine our own hearts. When we come to prayer together, our, our, our praying life uh, together should reflect our, our personal prayer life. It's still private because it's within the intimacy of God's family. And we see in the early church, people praying together quite often, but not for show, but as, as a, an act of love within the family of God. It was a way of caring for one another before God. Some of, us, some of us should be bolder in praying together. Maybe others should be less bold, I don't know. But we should still pray together. But the second corrective, then, that Jesus, Jesus gives here is to not overdo it. Right? There's no need to babble on because your Father who loves you already knows your needs, is what Jesus says. This is both a, uh, profound and, and probably a bit confusing. Here's the issue Jesus was speaking to. It was uh, a pagan practice. He, said, he, he mentions the Gentiles here, the, the non-Jewish pagans. It was a pagan view that, that you had to awaken the gods if you were going to, uh, if, if you were going to receive their favor. You had, to, you had to get their attention. You had to show them how serious you were, how earnest you were. And so you would, they would pray on and on and on. If you look at, at some of the, the ancient pagan uh, literature, you see this as, as a theme of it. And Jesus is calling believers to understand who God is and, and that he's very different from, from those pagan gods. Again, Jesus says he's your father. And your father loves you. And he cares for you and he knows what you need even before you ask him for it if you believe this about God, then it it should profoundly shape your prayer life. It's that relationship that defines how we pray. Jesus says, don't babble on like a pagan, but be simple and clear. Martin Luther said that prayer should be brief, frequent, and intense. I love that. Brief, frequent, and intense. You see, stopping and and praying for for hours like the pagans is, is essentially saying that God doesn't really care or pay attention to us unless we can grab his attention. What Jesus says is, is that he actually is paying attention. Even though he already knows our needs, he's paying attention. He cares for you. He cares for your needs. And Jesus calls us to live as though God is 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 actually ever present in our lives. And that means praying simply, but also praying often. Because our Father in heaven hears and he cares. That's kind of the, the paradox of prayer when you think about it, isn't it? So that when you're, you're the, the necessity of it is lifted, you you want to do it more. That's actually, that's actually grace, isn't it? That's how grace works itself out in our lives. See, what Jesus is talking about here is the, the difference between uh, demanding someone's time or someone demanding our time and actually just enjoying the time we have with someone. When we enjoy the time, then we want to spend more with them. A friend of mine had his dad coming around to visit a few weeks ago, and I asked him what they were planning to do together. And He, said, he listed a few things, but then he said, you know what? He's really easy, and we just enjoy being together. So whatever we do will be, will be a pleasure. It will be fun to be together. And that's what we're, that's what we're aiming for in our prayer lives seeing God as our Father who loves us and has all kinds of time for us. And we want to be with him because it's a joy, not a burden. And the natural question that comes up is, if, if God already knows, as Jesus says here, then why do we pray? So let me ask you this. Think about your best friend in the world. Think about the person who knows you the best. Why do you bother talking to them if they know so much about you already? It's because the the people who tend to know us the best are often the the people that we want to spend the most time with and that we want to talk to the most, isn't it? And that's the beauty of God being our Father. is that He knows us so well and yet He still wants us to come to Him and to speak to Him, to draw near to Him. Now, the second thing that Jesus tells us is is how to pray. We've we've heard how not to. How should we pray? So, uh, if, if you if you were invited to Buckingham Palace, to meet the Queen, what would you what would you say to her? I suspect I would probably freeze up. Uh, even as an American who has lots to say, I, I don't know I, I, that that I would say very much. I'd be afraid of saying something stupid to to the Queen. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus' disciples come to him and they they ask how they should pray because you get the sense that, that they don't know how to approach God. They're not sure how to, to approach the king. And here in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus seems to, to, to assume this is a, a problem that we have. And so he graciously instructs his disciples and us in how we, to, how we should pray. And when we don't know what to say, Jesus offers us a, a pattern, doesn't he? For, for our prayers. He offers a certainty of, of what we should be praying. This is, one of, uh, this is one of his great gifts to us, isn't it? He gives us both access to God, but then he helps us to understand how we should approach him, how we should relate to him. And so I want us to see how Jesus invites us to, to come before God and then to, to see two sets of, of petitions, uh, things that, that we should be asking God for. So first we have, uh, in verse 9, how to address God. And Jesus tells us we address him as our Father in heaven. And again, this is a, a, a beautiful reflection of the gospel, isn't it? Jesus invites us to call God our Father because he, he brings us into God's family. And there's both an, an intimacy in that and there's an authority in that, isn't there? There's an intimacy in that, that familial bond that we have with God. We can, we can freely come before him. He's not some distant deity, we aren't, we aren't just some faceless person in a, in a crowd. He knows you and I personally, is what Jesus says. But there's an authority here as well, isn't there? That as our Father, we're, we're called to recognize that he actually knows what's best for us. We're called to show him respect and reverence. That's what Jesus is calling us to in these these two sets of petitions, that we, we begin with that, that respect and that reverence for God. We, we begin with uh, what's called the the you petitions. In verses 9 and 10, these are the, the three things that, that, that we're called to ask of God. Hallowed, first of all, hallowed be your name. Secondly, your kingdom come. And third, your will be done. And I'm, I'm going to go through each of these very, very very quickly. Again, we could talk all day about this, but we're, we're going to run out of time. So first of all, the hallowing of God's name is, is a re- reflecting what, what should be our deepest desire as his people. It's for God to be treated as God. For him to be seen not just by us, but, but by the, the whole world as, as high and holy. That he would be revered by all creatures in the world. It's a desire to, to know God as he, as he truly is, and not as he is thought to be. And that last idea is probably where we need to, to connect with this petition. That we should desire to know God as he truly is. And not as he is thought to be, if we went out on the street this morning we, we took a survey, uh, you probably uh, get almost as many opinions on who God is as there as there are people that that we interview. What Jesus tells us is that that none of those opinions actually matter. none of them actually matter. we shouldn 't be concerned with them. Our chief concern should be to know God for who he truly is and what and, and, and what we're, we're praying for at the, the very start of this prayer is that, that God would reveal himself to us and to the world. How do we know God, and, and how do we know him as he truly is? Well, we see it in his word, don't we? We see it in Christ Jesus. Now, the second petition, the, the second thing we're to pray for is, your kingdom come. And here uh, we're praying that the fullness of God's goodness would, would penetrate our world. It's in in many ways an, an acknowledgment that our, our world and everyone in it is, is under the curse of sin and evil. It's, it's an acknowledgement of the brokenness around us and that our only cure is for God to come and to, to fill it with his goodness and his grace and his justice. It's a cry that should be central to the hearts of believers, to, to the desire to, to abide in the place where God rules and reigns. Now, the third thing we should be asking for, let your will be done. It's submitting ourselves to the will of God our Father. It's asking Him to to take away our our rebellious hearts, that we wouldn't be obstinate in our sin. And the question that we're left with is, how how do we know His will? How do we know what He desires? Again, the answer is that we see it in the Scriptures, don't we? That we have to bend our minds and our hearts to His Word each day, and we're, we're asking Him in the third petition, to help us do that. After these, these first three petitions, there's this little break where where we have this phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. And that, that, this is, is sometimes called the mid-course correction. What are we praying for here? The, we're, we're, the, the goal or the desire of our prayers for God's reign to, to be seen and to extend to, to us here on earth. We're acknowledging there's more than just us out there, but that there's a spiritual domain, heaven that already knows the full joy of God's reign and rule. And then we come to these, these second set of petitions, these second set of prayers. These are called the us petitions. As we move from, from uh, you and your to, to us, uh, he gives equal time to our human needs, doesn't he, Jesus? So what are we, what are we praying in these, these petitions is actually that, that God would make us fully human, that he would make us fully and truly human. That we would, he would cause us to be the people that he created us to be. And that's the, the people who are dependent upon him. And so first is this, this prayer for our daily bread. Jesus is essentially saying uh, that it isn't wrong for us to pray for the things we need. It isn't wrong for us to, to be concerned about uh, our physical well-being. See, that God actually cares about our physical needs. It doesn't have to, to simply be limited to bread or food, but this is actually a, a request that, that can be broader than that. It's all the things that go into provision. You can pray and ask God to, to provide you with the money that you need to buy food or, or to, to live life. You, can, you should be praying about your job and your finances. You should be giving thanks to God for what he's given you, but also asking him for, for further provision. That's what, what Jesus is inviting us to do. It's it's actually okay to, to pray that God would, would help you get the, the money together to buy that house that you, that you want. Shelter's a need, isn't it? It's okay for us to ask for, for these things. Jesus says we're, we're dependent upon God for, for all of these practical needs. It's not selfish to pray for the things that we need. The next Jesus tells us to pray, uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors you'll notice, us, notice we, we usually pray, forgive us our sins, which is what we prayed earlier this morning. Uh, the reason is, uh, the difference, the, the, is the difference between uh, Luke's gospel and, and Matthew's gospel and in, in it, how, it, how it writes out the Lord's prayer. And actually the reason for the difference is, is uh, it makes sense when you think about who Matthew's writing to. He's writing to a more Jewish audience. And in Jewish thought, uh, every sin created a debt before God. So our account runs a constant deficit beca- before him because of our sin. And so what, what we're really praying for here is a very, very bold thing, isn't it? And Jesus tells us to pray for it. He tells us, to, uh, he, he tells us debtors to, to come before the debt holder and ask him to forgive our sins. This is, this is kind of mad when you, when you think about it. It'd be like if, if you called up your, your mortgage holder you know, the bank that, that has the, the, the mortgage on on your home or your flat, and you ask them to let you have to let you have your place for free, to forgive that debt, to act as though you never owed that money. And no mortgage provider would ever do that, would they? Why is that? It's because when a debt is forgiven, someone has to absorb the cost of that debt, don't they? This is actually again, this is praying the gospel. It's asking God to forgive our sins, our debts, based on the fact that, that someone has absorbed those costs, that someone has had to pay that debt on our behalf. And the fact is that, that God Himself paid that debt, didn't He? God absorbed the costs of our sin, and He paid our debts. in the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus, the one who's, who's taught us to pray these words. And along with this, this prayer that our debts be forgiven, we're instructed to pray also that we can, we can actually live out that gospel in our lives. And that's by forgiving those who, who sin against us. This is actually an important point, isn't it? It's so important that Jesus actually underlines it in verses 14 and 15. It's, it's really important because it reflects not just, uh, not just knowledge of the gospel, but it reflects hearts that have been transformed by it. It's a hard thing to forgive someone who's hurt us, isn't it? It's a hard thing to, to forgive someone who's wronged us. It feels like we have, to, we have to absorb that debt, don't we? And that's what Jesus did, isn't it? And he, he calls us to do the same. He calls us to be so transformed by his grace that we can live as Jesus lived and do what Jesus did. Jesus is calling us to, to do something here, but he's, he's enabling us to do it through the grace that we've been shown. This is particularly important and challenging for us this morning, as we as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. Paul warns us before coming to the table to to examine ourselves, be sure uh, that we aren't in conflict with another believer, and if so, to uh, we we should go and ask forgiveness of that person, and to also forgive them, and to be reconciled to them before we come to the table. Because the table reflects the truths of the gospel, doesn't it? And it calls us to live that truth just as the Lord's Prayer calls us to live it out. Now the final petition is, is lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. And in many ways, this is the, the most natural thing to pray after asking for forgiveness of sins, isn't it? Because we're simply asking that, that God would help us not to sin again. We're asking God to, to, uh, to, to help lead and protect us from the, the powers of this world. In some ways, this is a, a more personal version of asking for God's kingdom to come, because we're we're asking Him to subdue the evil that that we come into contact with each day, and that we actually contribute to their own actions and sins. And as we close this point, I, I want to again say that I apologize for such a short explanation of of these petitions. Maybe it feels longer than it, than it actually was. But I, I hope you can see how, how helpful and practical this prayer is. It's something that we should be taking home and, and, and expounding upon in our, our own prayers. That we should follow this pattern that Jesus has given us because it's, it's incredibly practical, isn't it? He gave it to, to be our guide in approaching our Heavenly Father. It's a, it's a brilliant prayer companion and prayer book for us as believers should give us boldness in approaching God and lifting our needs before him. Now finally and briefly, the third thing Jesus teaches us this morning is, is how to be properly spiritual in verses 16 and 18. Uh, Jesus is a- addressing in, in these three, three verses uh, a very specific issue from his day and, and that was centered around fasting. But you could actually look at this in, in, uh, as any spiritual discipline or good work, he's he's saying if you're you're doing these these spiritual disciplines, if you're fasting or doing any of these other things, even even prayer, uh, simply for the the acclaim of other people, to be seen by them, then then uh, then there there's no merit in that. He's asking the question: Who are you looking to serve? Whether you're fasting or, or doing something for the poor, who are you seeking to serve and to please? Our heart should be to, to serve our Heavenly Father. And therefore, our good work should be in private and not public. This holds true for us as a church. I've been asked, um, I've been asked more than once just in the, in the last few months since we started, what, what charity work do we do as a church? What someone's asking when that, that question, that what they're really asking and what they're really trying to do is gauge uh, if they think we're doing enough to, for them to consider us a, a proper church. Are we doing enough for the community? Are we enough of a community action organization that they think we're, we're, we're pleasing God and serving Him well? Now, I'd, I'd admit to all of you in, in this room that we, we probably aren't doing enough, uh, not yet anyway, for, for caring for others and their needs, but we're, we also aren't going to advertise what we do because we aren't doing it to be seen by others, but because we're called to please God but it's interesting that, that Jesus addresses this issue of fasting here. And I want to circle back around to it for a moment. Because outside of these verses and, and a couple of others, Jesus says very, very little about fasting. In fact, one of the, the accusations brought against him was that he was a, a glutton because he didn't, he didn't fast enough and his, his disciples didn't fast. And the reason Jesus gave for that was because he said he was the bridegroom, the Savior from God who was coming into the world, and he was worth celebrating. And so, feasting became the, the hallmark of the early church rather than fasting. Fasting has a, has a place in our practice. We've, we've done it together uh, earlier this year, but the, the feast is what Jesus establishes as a sacrament, isn't it? It's what we're about to come to in a moment, it's what we see at the table before us. It's the feast. That's what we hear in these these verses we've looked at, that the the grace of God is is so wonderful. And our relationship to God is so intimate that He he invites us into His home and He desires us to sit down and to dine with Him. And the reason is because as as Jesus has shown us in in Christ, God is our loving Father who longs for us to draw near to Him. And this morning he, He invites us into His presence with the very special meal that we're about to receive together. As we prepare to come to his table, let us pray.